the majority of Australians still want to celebrate Australia Day on the 26th of January and it's a minority and a very active and a very um, persistent and a very hard-working minority that will tell you otherwise, that will, will, will sort of give you the impression that no one wants to celebrate Australia Day on the 26th of January. Welcome to the New Flesh podcast, the podcast you deserve. My name is Jonathan Astro, he, him, it's Australia Day, Ricky Orpike, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Uh, happy Australia Day. Happy Australia Day. Oh, you didn't say, you didn't sound fully behind it. <laughs> I am fully behind it. No, but you way. said, happy Australia Day. Well, that's the Australian way of talking, isn't it? Everything is a question. Happy, happy Australia Happy Australia happy Day. Aust- happy Australia Day. Like, like it, yeah, it, it's like, is it good? Well, I, th- I, think, I think it's a positive day. Uh, and I think it's good that we have a day that uh, everyone can, can get behind. You know, and celebrate the the things that make this this country great. Okay, uh, send your hate mail to Ricky Orpike. <laughs> 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 so uh, we we actually have some a uh, special guest uh, with us later to talk about this very subject. We uh, do, we do, Bella Diabrera. But before we get into that, I want to celebrate some great things about our country. I want to talk about Aussie slang for a little right. bit here. Okay. So I'm going to test you on your mm-hmm. Aussie slang here. Uh, starting first with fair dinkum. Now, I, I, I love this term and I, I, I should try and use it more, fair dinkum. So do you know what fair dinkum means? Yeah, it means uh, the real deal, the genuine article. That's it, yeah. So uh, he, he, here's a sentence you will probably never say. Eric and his assistant are fair dinkum magicians. Uh, <laughs> I love it. I love that this person is casually friends or acquaintances with magicians. <laughs> yeah. That's good. That's right. That's right. Hey, you know what he was? He was a fair dinkum magician. <laughs> he was a fair dinkum magician. That's it. All right. All right. So bludger. Yes. A bludger is a, a extremely lazy person, uh, often used uh, in regards to the welfare state, the dole bludger. That's right, the dole bludger. You hear about that all the time, flaming dole bludger. So he, here's another good one, gobsmacked. Gobsmacked, uh, yep, it means uh, that you are stunned or in awe of, uh, uh, you were you were very surprised by something that happened. My next one, piece of piss. <laughs> piece of piss. Piece <laughs> of piss is an expression used, it means that something is, uh, was uh, incredibly easy in execution. That's right. So you mm. say, how was your test, Ricky? Oh, it was a piece of piss, mate. It was. That means, and I say, oh, very good, son. <laughs> uh, sticky beak. Sticky beak. <laughs> sti- you like that one? <laughs> I, uh, sticky beak is uh, <laughs> a, a nosy person, someone who is looking into the affairs of other people. Correct. Correct. So, uh, are these? Uh, did, 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 did presumably the website you got this off? Did this? Does this say that these are particular Australian expressions? They they are, yeah. But sticky beak is some. So if I said that to an American, they'd be like, "What?" Probably. I don't you, get you, you, it. You've what? been to the US. You've been to the US, and they're they're often bamboozled by well, what you're talking about. It's the accent. Look, I get it. The accent's harder. I actually have you have to put on an accent when you're ordering coffee over there. Yes. I, I found this actually when I was traveling in the US for, for small interactions that, that you, you just couldn't be bothered talking about where you're from or whatever. You would put on a bit of an American accent just to yeah. get through the interaction, you know. But my bit of advice for you that's unrelated is um, save yourself the problem with the accent. Don't order coffee in America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sucks. Take it, take it from me. <laughs> don't, <laughs> yeah. don't do it. 
All right, my last one here is crack the shits. <laughs> yeah. Okay, crack the shits is uh, someone having like a a a, uh, a frustrated sort of an explosion of like frustration. Yeah, I guess so. Or if you get pissed off, you know, you're angry at something. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a simple way of saying, yeah, somebody, yeah. you get angry and say, oh, he's totally cracked the shit. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, you know, your manager, Robbo. Oh, have you seen Robbo? Oh, he's totally cracked the shit this morning. Stay stay away from him. Yep, yep. That's it. So do you, do you use many of these terms in, in everyday speech? I could say that I don't, but... Yeah, I do. So, like, you know, like the 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 thing is, you don't again, you don't realize until you travel overseas that how ridiculous our, our idioms yeah, are. Yeah. I think idioms and ex- those expressions are there's a, there's so many in our language, and I, yeah. I I mean, do you use a lot of those? Uh, well, I definitely use bludger, piece of piss, and Gobsmacked. maybe crack the shits. Gobsmacked. Yeah. Uh, oh, not so much. I whip that one maybe. out every few months, maybe. You say, it is, it's it is quite it's, it's, evocative, isn't it? You're getting your gob absolutely. smacked. Yeah. I was gobsmacked, mate. Yeah. Like, you know, mm. like it was it was a big deal. But yeah. piece of piss, um, I would use that to a certain type of guy. Yeah, so, sure. You know, so you mean? wouldn't like you wouldn't was, you wouldn't say it to your grandmother. No. She's dead. But uh <laughs> I'm I sorry for your I, loss. That's all right. I wouldn't say I wouldn't use say it to her, but I would say it like, you know, if a guy asked me, like I'm walking past and he says, Oh mate. You think I can fit in there? And he's got like like a, a big big ute or something, and he's trying to get in somewhere. I'd say, yeah, p- piece of piss, mate. <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah, connecting connecting with the uh, average Common Australian. Man. Yeah, sure. that's, that's me. Mm. Yeah. Now, before we just just quickly before we get on to our, our great interview that's coming up, um, so we, we will be talking about Australia Day, but something that's sort of connected. Uh, Triple J Hottest One Hundred, which I haven't listened to for quite a long time. Uh, they they moved their hottest 100 uh, that used to be on Australia Day. So basically, it's just you know the the best songs as voted by the audience, uh, the best hundred of them, and they play did them. Did you know? Did Did you know that when they moved the Triple J's hottest 100, that it ended racism? Did it? Yeah, it's over wow. now. Is it like they they moved it from from Australia Day, and then the, immediately after racism stopped? Wow. So. Who would have thought that's all it took? But no, but like it took just courage, I guess, to, they, that someone to do it. They were like, you know, yeah. it's time to do this, to join all the great heroes of the past, you know, Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks. We're our contribution to move the hottest 100 yeah. from January 26th mm. yeah. to another day. Yeah. And I don't even know what day it is. Um, the next day, I think. Is it? No. Is They've it? already had it though, so it's not. Have they? Yeah. I don't know, but it, it is a bit annoying for people that are really into it because they don't have that whole day off that they could listen to, that they could just listen endlessly to, uh, to the hottest one hundred. You know. Well, it I used to, I must say at its in its in its time it was really nice. You know, you go with your family. You know, we used to go to the river and have a barbecue and watch the fireworks, and they would play the uh, hottest one hundred all day, and and it was it was an event. You know, and mm. and and. Uh, you know, you were excited, and and I think I think it was a unifying thing, and yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. know. Like, I guess if I guess if all of that's bad, then maybe we should get get rid of it. Mm. Well, it is on a different day, and not to harp on that, um, the, the the winner of the hottest one hundred this year um, is the Wiggles, right? So okay. uh, the Wiggles did a cover of a Tame Impala song called Elephant. I think they did it earlier last year. 
and um, people voted this as the best song of the year. Um, now, I've I've heard the cover. You know, it's it's respectable. It's it's you know, it's fun. It's the Wiggles. They're dressed up as the Wiggles. You've seen it, haven't you? Yeah, it's all right. I like that that Emma was off to one side. <laughs> yeah, not 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 center stage. She wasn't the one as the lead singer. I liked her sitting there seething behind the drum kit, going, "Oh fuck! I tell you what, I should be up there." Up yeah. Front. Well, I tell you what. Who mm. was on the keyboard and the vocals? Lockie. Is that his name? Oh. Um, is that the guy? That yeah, the guy I think Lockie was playing the guitar and he was the main singer. Yep. Um, he was good of this song. Yeah, and they brought in one of the older Wiggles that you don't see much anymore. He was playing Jeff. guitar. Jeff was uh, there. Jeff was there. Yeah, he made an appearance. Um, now my issue with this is that that the, the the public voted this as the best song of the year. Uh, I think it shows a bit of a I don't know an infantile sort of viewpoint. You know, I I look back at um, now way back 1997, the 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 song that took out the hottest 100 was No Aphrodisiac by the Whitlam's, which is a masterpiece. But also it it's a song that's that's very complex and very adult from both a, a, a purely musical point of view but also from a lyric point of view as well and i just feel like uh, and this is just one comparison you know i'm sure it doesn't fully outline what i'm thinking here but i just feel like music and listenership has sort of regressed to a, 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 an infantile sort of position i mean you, you've got the whitlam's on one hand and then you've got the wiggles who is a band that plays for four-year-olds you know hmm. and somewhere along the way we've gone from being you know adults that like listening to to, to adult stuff to uh you know just uh children in perpetuity you know but there's also irony and nostalgia there's that as well, like I guess. That, that, that's, that's adding to it. But, but mm. either way, you, you're meant to get to a certain age and recognise that, that irony is uh, a solace pursuit and that mm. um, nostalgia is also a cancer of the, of the mind. For sure. Well, it you used to I mean? be, nostalgia used to be considered as a mental illness back, I think, in the early 1900s. I totally um, agree with that. Yeah, so do I. I think Absolutely. you get trapped in it. But I think I can pinpoint, I can pinpoint just quickly here, I think where this all began was in 2001 when Rove McManus interviewed Elmo on Rove Live. Now, do you remember this? All right. Are you going to have to explain Rove to anyone? So or? I will have to explain Rove as much as I hate it. So Rove McManus is sort of a light entertainment personality. <laughs> he he a had slam. a show... <laughs> That's such a wonderful slam and totally accurate. Light it is totally accurate. Light entertainment. <laughs> yeah. A king of patter. Yes, know? yes. You know, and totally, you know, inoffensive as well. You know, he's not, not dangerous at all. I guess you could call him a comedian of sorts. I'm not sure. Well, he's he's humorous. Coming. But the hits keep coming. You know. What about, what about Peter Hellier, an <laughs> Australian comedian, was also on his show. What do you think of him? Oh, I think he's bottom of the barrel. He's <laughs> he's low hanging fruit, you know. Okay, I mean on. his his last one of his recent fringe shows was called Big Boy Pants. I yeah. think that that says it all. Anyway, so in two thousand and one, so Rove McManus. Let me just explain who he is. So he had a, 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 a I guess a late night. It wasn't really that late night, but but a nighttime live <laughs> show where he would interview people and there'd be acts on and stuff like that. You know, I guess a little bit like the Late Show with David Letterman, but but not as cool. Um, 
Anyway, so in 2001, he interviewed Elmo via satellite. And I think in 2006, and maybe a third time, uh, Elmo actually came on the show live. And I always thought, well, maybe not back then, but I thought in, in, in the subsequent years that you could really pinpoint that, hang on a minute, like this is a late night show. The kids have gone to bed. This is a show for, for, for adults and and you're interviewing Elmo, like, you know, and I often thought that, wow, that that's kind of the start of this whole, of this whole thing, this infantilization of, uh, of media, of, of, ad, of what should be adult media, you know. Well, as it turns out, Elmo turned out, out to be a lot more dangerous than, than Rove because he's a bit handsy. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you forgot about that, didn't you? No, yeah, I did. So he was feeling some, some, uh, people yeah, oh, look, let's not get into it. He was, I think he was involved in some sexual assault cases. <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> yeah. not 100% sure. Oh, yes. No, I remember this. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Well, no, but I've, I, your, your broader point, of course I agree with that. I mean, we go on about shit all the time. Basically, you know, something has happened where, I mean, when, when, and it wasn't that long ago, in our formative years, the idea was that you were a child and, and you looked to the adult world and you were excited about you know, some, you were looking through a, a sort of a crack in the doorway at, your, at the world, your parents were, you know, they were all dressed up going, going somewhere and doing something interesting, you know, and, and movies, adult movies gave you this insight into the adult world, this, the big, scary adult world of risk and, you know, where the, where the training wheels are off and, and your destiny is yours and there's, and there's adventure and danger around every corner. And, you know, slowly from, yeah, the year 2000 onwards, it's become, you know, partly because of Marvel and music and whatever it's now, you know, you are encouraged to be a kid well into your 40s. Mm, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you are encouraged to to walk around as like a 40-year-old man with a fucking Darth Vader, uh, you know, face on your fucking T-shirt. Yeah, yeah. You see it all the time. Yeah. And then you're listening to the Wiggles right, going, oh, yeah, this is fucking hell sick. On, on Hottest, Hottest 100, yeah. Well, then again, who's listening to Hottest 100 now? Yeah, I know. Uh, they're out of touch. They're out of touch. Unlike us, uh, <laughs> l- let's, uh, shall we bring in our guest? Let's do it. Bella Diabrera is the Director of Foundations of Western Civilization Program at the Institute of Public Affairs, a nonprofit think tank that focuses on issues such as climate change, freedom of speech, criminal justice, economics, and much more. She has a Bachelor in History and Spanish from Monash University, uh, a Master's in Spanish from the University of St. Andrews, and a PhD in History uh, from the University of Cambridge. She is an author and has contributed work to The Spectator Australia, The Herald Sun, and The Australian. Uh, thanks for making time for us today, Bella. Thank you very much for inviting me on. It's a pleasure. Uh, I have to say, Bella, reading your work online makes me feel a little like I'm in a dark underground parking garage listening to Deep Throat. It's uh, <laughs> it's dangerous stuff. Okay, <laughs> Is it? Is it really though? It is. Well, look, it is now. It probably wasn't 10 years ago, but it is now. That's the, that's, that is a good point. Um, and perhaps we should uh, ruminate on that because I feel like perhaps there's been a change. Uh, but first off, first cab off the rank, it's Australia Day today, uh, and uh, you've written a piece entitled Australia's Day of Moans, which appeared in the Daily Telegraph with the subheading, Our National Day has become an annual festival of bitterness and complaint led by an elite minority. So underpinning the article is a surprising new poll. Uh, oh, well, that's uh, uh, arguably <laughs> surprising. Can you, can you run us through the findings just quickly? 
Yes, um, um, just to qual- just to um, qualify that I don't come up with those crazy headlines. That's the newspaper. <laughs> I just uh, give them the look, op-eds. We've got it. We've got to sell papers here. No, right? we've got to sell papers. That's right, and that's what that's that's a clickbait, isn't it? Um, so look, every year, um, I think for the last five years, as long well, I've been at the IPA for six years, and we've run a poll nearly every year now, and we always do it around December. Um, and we don't ask the questions to the people. We get a marketing company to do it, and they take a. a, a random sample of a thousand Australians and we pose three statements to them about their views on Australia Day, how they feel about being Australian and what they think of Australian history. So the poll we did this year, we posed exactly the same um, questions to them that we've done for the last five years. They're very bland. It's just like, you know, how, uh, you know, do you, do you want to celebrate Australia Day on January the 26th? And um, this year, the majority of Australians still want to celebrate Australia Day on the 26th of January. And it's a minority and a very active and a very um, persistent and a very hardworking minority that that will tell you otherwise, that will 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 sort of give you the impression that no one wants to celebrate Australia Day on the 26th of January. Who comprises this elite minority and 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 how have they completely dominated this this discussion? Well, look, the the first of all, it's the media. Um, I don't know if you've looked at the ABC website recently, and I I, I don't know if you remember last year. The I ABC check it every day. Yeah. Well, okay. Every day. So last year, well, I mean, in terms of us, sort of the Australia Day debate, um, last year they put they they put they advertised um, Invasion Day and Australian Day thing, Australia Day things, and then famous. everyone went crazy, and they had to take the Invasion Day stuff down. This was a famous uh, uh, scandal. It was. It was a famous scandal. It was a, a very Australian scandal, and um, they so they took that down, and then um, you know they were forced to say you know. We don't really think it's on Invasion Day, but they do. So, look, the, the, the general idea of most people in the media, in mainstream media, is that Australia is something that we need to be ashamed of. And they're pushing this narrative that it's all about invasion and genocide and, 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 and that some they completely ignore the positive aspects of Australia. Of course, every country, every, the history of every nation has very dark pages and very light pages. The media is just pushing the dark pages. They're just pushing this um, this this very negative um, idea of, of Australia. It's also happening very much in our schools. I don't know if you've been been keeping up with the national curriculum. They're trying to um, they're they've currently written a new national curriculum. And it's quite radical, and um, they're trying to basically, if you look at the, the way they've they've they treat history. Australian history, it's all very negative and it's the same stuff that you hear around Australia Day. So there's a 15%. So the problem is that this 15% minority is 100% in the media and 100% of how history is taught at universities and how history is taught at schools. So the point is that the, the interesting point about the poll this year that I haven't touched on yet is that there is a massive difference between what younger people think about Australia Day and what older people think about Australia Day. And that's probably something that you wanted to talk about anyway. Absolutely. So we, perhaps we can talk about those changes. I'll, 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 after, uh, I just want to ask you, so my local council, the Inner West in Sydney, has voted, yes. to, has voted to move all celebratory events other than citizenship ceremonies away from the January 26th. Uh, Inner West Mayor Darcy Burns said that the move was about recognising that the 26th of January was a day that represented sadness for many Aboriginal Australians. Quote, it's a small but respectful act of recognition, he said, quote, the right thing to do, close quote. Uh, This is him again. Attitudes towards 26th of January are changing in the community. 
For Aboriginal people, the date represents the beginning of colonisation, dispossession, the removal of children and deliberate destruction of language and culture. A growing number of Australians want that to be respectfully acknowledged. Uh, are the mayor's claims about changing attitudes correct? Uh, you know, based on what we've, <laughs> what you know? No, no, I mean, I don't think they are. And I think it's wishful thinking. Um, I think it's like the more we say it, the more it will become true. So, so, so the problem is, you know, we don't, well, it's not a problem. It's a good thing. The polls, and it's not just the IPA's polls. There was another, there was a YouGov poll um, a couple of days ago that asked the same question and it came back with, I think um, it was a majority, it was 56 or 57% of Australians still want to celebrate Australia Day. So it's not, it's not the minority. It is, it continues to be the majority. Whereas I would argue with the young people, it is that they are changing their minds. They are changing their attitudes. It's because of the way they're being taught. Um, so it's partly right and partly wrong. I think when you look at the broad cross-section of community, people still want to go to Australia Day celebrations. Younger people are less inclined to celebrate Australia Day because they're being taught at school from the beginning, from, from prep to year 12, that Australia is not worth celebrating. Is this related to uh, perhaps our, the teaching cohort? And the way they're teaching uh, these the, our our kids this this change. Oh yeah, yes. I mean, you can you can see the. Um, I mean, the, the the teachers are notoriously um, on on the left of politics. They they will make no they they, they make no that that's, it's not it's not a conspiracy theory. Most teachers are, are quite left wing, um, and the narrative that the that is preferred by people on the left at the moment is um, is the fact that Australia is is pretty much. A country that we need to be ashamed of, that there's nothing good about it at all. And, and this is the narrative that they're teaching children. Um, I mean, I've been through the national curriculum. It's very much a, a depressing view of the modern state of Australia. Uh, it's not entirely accurate. Um, and, and, and so it doesn't surprise me that young people don't want to turn up tomorrow and, 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 and celebrate anything about Australia because they, they, they're sort of being told to hate it, which is, which is really sad. Um, you know, and as I said, as I said earlier, it's like, Every country has terrible things about it. There's no nation in the world that hasn't invaded someone else, that hasn't persecuted elements of the population for something they believe, something they say. There's, there's no nation in this world that has been perfect. Um, apart from, if you, if, uh, unfortunately, the only nation that you can't criticise in Australia are you know, the First Nations. You can't ever say that there, there was anything wrong with that society before the British arrived. They were clearly wrong wrong things with the society before the British arrived. It wasn't this Rousseauian idea of the noble savage. I mean, there was terrible tribal warfare, um, but you can't talk about that. But it's very de dehumanising and infantilising as well to, to assume that they weren't uh, a, uh, normal humans. Yes, know, exactly. Who... We're all flawed um, and we all have a very flawed history. Everybody, there is not one culture, there's not one civilization, not one history has, has this perfect sort of, this idea that, that they were, we're all living in harmony and, 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 the, um, and that the Indigenous nations were just in a state of perfection before the British arrived, that's, it's not historically accurate. Um, and, and, and I'm not saying that we need to, to whitewash history. We need to know everything. We need to know that these Indigenous Australians <laughs> were, were not prepared for the arrival of, of the British and they didn't, by and large, they didn't you know, want them here, which is absolutely understandable you know this this these these foreigners arriving on, on on crafts that they'd never seen before and it was this crazy class of clash of cultures but unfortunately the time you know the the, the time was 1700s when when the europeans were expanding so australia was never going to remain unexplored and uncolonized 
but you, you, this is this is this is how history works. Well, let's pivot away from Australia Day for just a moment uh, and onto your other work. Uh, you're the director of the Foundations of Western Civilization program. Uh, what sort of things do you do in that role? Um, so it's really um, I sort of work in the the, the cultural sphere, I suppose, um, and the history sphere. So one of my major um, pieces of research that has sort of gone on for a few years is looking at how um, history is taught in universities and how um, the humanities are taught at universities and what's happened to education and what's happened to to the idea of um, what's happened to the idea of knowledge in Australia at university level. It's sort of been replaced by <clears throat> these theories. It's been replaced by identity politics. It's been replaced by postmodernism. So I'm very, I sort of work in that education space, um, which has made me very unpopular with universities and I will never get a job there, unfortunately, because that's what I would love to be doing. I don't want to be fighting this fight. I'd like to be writing a book on something obscure from, you know, the 1500s, which is, <laughs> but, but, you know, I, 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 th there's no place for that now because I'm not actually interested in critical race theory or identity politics. I'm just interested in, in, in objective history. But, but Bella, why should we care about Western civilization? Is it, isn't it all just pale, male and stale? We should care about Western civilization because without that, we wouldn't be we without Western civilization. We wouldn't be having this conversation. We wouldn't have um, the freedom of speech. We wouldn't have freedom of conscience. We wouldn't have anything that makes Australia the 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 the, the democracy that it is today. We wouldn't have um, any say in in anything. We wouldn't have equality before the law. It's everything. It's Western civilization is everything that modern Australia is. We it wouldn't exist without it. It's it sounds like an obscure theoretical thing, but. But our, our civilization is is everything. Can you imagine if we didn't? What what Australia would be like if we had no free speech, no democracy, no quality before the law? We'd be um, we'd be like one of the, the super extreme Saudi countries where women have to where women have no no rights, no votes. I mean, it it would be a very very different place. Absolutely. Uh, well, I have a case study for you. You're going to like this. So uh, it's a horror story. Uh, basically. I undertook a mature age uh, literature degree at your old alma mater, uh, Monash, not too long ago. So oh, I, wow. actually, I have recent end user experience ah. for you. Okay. Uh, yes. Now, I had dreams of studying the classics. So Dostoevsky, Shakespeare, you know, I wanted it to be like Dead Poet Society, basically. Yes. Yeah. Stand on a desk. Yes. I wanted yeah, to stand, I was, I've been waiting. I was poised to stand yeah. on the desk, uh, <laughs> not to not not to skip to the end, Bella. But um, I didn't leave my seat. You know, <laughs> I remained seated. Uh, but I had no idea that the humanities. This was a slow realization. Perhaps you could have told me this before I'd enrolled. Yeah, you should have asked me. Well, but the humanities have been completely taken over by postmodernism, which is a nightmarish uh, outlook on the world mm. and other hard left, hard left ideologies. Um, so it's the only, basically the only game in town there. Like if you wanted to uh, study, you know, pentameter or, or, you know, aesthetics or the Western canon or anything Harold Bloom goes on about or whatever, mm. forget it. That's over. So basically the reading lists were diluted with graphic novels, second rate authors, uh, you know, uh, an unreadable postmodernism and, and the rest of it. So I detected a very real anti-Western civilization project at the universities, and I have no other way to ask this, but how did this happen? Who's doing it? And why are they doing it? Look, I'm really glad to hear this because sometimes I feel like I'm making it up because I, you know, I, I go through the university handbooks and 
they try and make courses sound better than they are. So it's nice to hear someone who's actually been through it. And I've probably been quite <laughs> less, I, I mean, I've probably been a bit nicer than I should have been hearing that story. So I went through English literature last year and across all university um, departments and no one teaches anything to do with actual English literature anymore. So it's exactly your, your, um, your experience. And that's been going since the, well, the postmodernists came along in the 1960s, and these were the, 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 the French, the Frenchmen who you'll be familiar with. You're probably forced to read some of their stuff. So Derrida um, and Foucault and, and, and all these, these men who I think, and I suspect, and I, and I don't know what you think, I think, they ha- I think they knew what they were doing. I think the, the postmodernism, they knew that it would result in, in the total um, um, rejection of, of literature and of knowledge for the sake of knowledge. Uh, because it was all, it's very complicated, but basically um, they say that knowledge, Western knowledge oppresses everyone else so that you, you can't talk about it. So you can't talk about Shakespeare and you can't talk about Bronte, the, you can't talk about any classical literature written by, or by a white person now because that's oppressive for minorities. So you have to talk about other stuff. It's a really uh, desperately complicated and it, it's, you just go into that postmodernist vortex, but it has ruined the humanities and it's been around since the 60s. You probably would have got away with a decent degree in the 80s and 90s, but after that, total waste of time. This is why people, I mean, thankfully, you can still just go and read the books. I mean, you, <laughs> you've said that's it, the though. best. You just go and read your books. And that's the good thing about history as well. History is taught really badly, but there are a lot of history books that you can just, that you, you just teach yourself. Uh, until the, university get, courses are a waste uh, of time. Until those books get cancelled, though. That's... Yeah, it's, hard, it's harder to cancel books than it is to cancel people, though. Mm true that is true look I, you skipped to the end there which is good because you come up with an like my my read on it was that if someone asked me now i'd say don't do the degree and uh and just read great books and engage mm. with the books and become a bit sort of protestant in that way like just focus on the word you know but still you know i i think we just need to engage with like you know who I got a sense from the tutors as well. Like obviously there are, there are ideologues in there who who know what they're doing and they, mm. they, they love it. They love, you know, fat studies and queer studies yeah. and the rest yeah. of it. Yeah. But there are some other people that, uh, that uh, for a range of reasons, that they complained that they can't put, uh, you know, hard books on the, on the curriculum or the, or, the, or the list because, you know, they say, oh, well, you know, we get in trouble for doing that. So it's this sort of like perfect storm of mm. anyone, who, anyone who's left who's trying to do it is, is sort of uh, either too frightened or, or, or talked out of it. But they say, oh, students don't want to read, you know, uh, uh, Virginia Woolf, too hard, you know, whatever. Let's, let's just give them a graphic novel. Oh, it happens to be, it come out three years ago and oh, and it happens to be about, you know, this a brand new gender ideology. You know what I mean? And you go, yeah, yeah. It's just a perfect storm of, of terrible ideas. It is a perfect storm. And I think I think the problem is students don't know what they're missing out on because they're never taught they don't know. They don't know what they don't know. So they they uh, if they were introduced to real literature, they would love it. And that's what people like you went hoping that they would that that they they'd they'd find something out, they'd, they'd find something out about Shakespeare that they didn't know. They'd become familiar with Virginia Woolf. And, but they don't know this stuff and they're being told that it's bad. Um, and, and, and so it's this sort of... Oh, and the other thing is I think a lot of the knowledge is being lost. So it would be very, very difficult, for example, if you were really desperate to find out about Dante's Inferno and, and read it with someone who knew it's a very complicated thing to read. Who would you go to in Australia? 
like what university professor could you actually sit down with now and say, take me through Dante's Inferno, I really want to understand it. It would be very difficult. So I think the knowledge is being lost. There's one man who would be able to do it at, at Monash, and he was the most spectacular. He was an old school. He, st- he stood out yes. uh, amongst everyone. I think, think his name was Peter, Peter Groves, maybe, or, or I forget his name, but uh, Renaissance uh, teacher and old school. Like, you know, and yes. whenever you tried to pivot onto uh, uh, fluid nonsense, he would just mm-hmm. say, no, no, let's get back to the text oh. and the word and the, and the rhyme. And he was... And really um, alien almost now, like yeah. completely alien yes. in, in yeah. that landscape. How, how was that taken by the students, by the way? Just um, Well, you know, it, it, like, so most of them are young and they couldn't tell the difference. I'm a mature age, so I was sitting right next to him, you know, bugging him and stuff. And, uh, yeah, they just... I just could tell that he was he was different, and that, that it was lost on them. You know, a lot of them were sort of law students just doing a doing a unit, like you know they did Renaissance. They said, "Oh yeah, this will this will round out my degrees." It's a bit interesting. Like they weren't like in love with it. You know what I mean? Like it was they were tourists, so it was a bit different. Was there any curiosity amongst any of the the younger ones at all when he was actually t- teaching you the? The actual literature classes were small, too small. You know, it was a re- it was disillusioning. You know, and uh, but it, it did give me. Yeah, classes are too small. Curiosity, not so much. And and the attacks from all of the other units are so it's so complete. The Blitzkrieg is so complete mm. that by the time you're sitting in his class, I mean, it's you know you don't even know what you're hearing. Like it's like they it's like all of their all the students' compasses, internal compasses have been smashed. Yes. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was an, there was a, an interview. Do you know the um, the British historian Neil Ferguson? Yes. Who, um, so there was an interview with him last year, and he was talking about how it's just been a deliberate um, destruction of all the good old, old school academics who used to just love their subject, um, um, and they would retire, and then and the, there was a deliberate sort of um, strategy to replace them with the younger postmodernist cultural studies. Yeah. So so that's what we're seeing the result of, and it's it's a shame because these people don't love their subject. They don't love literature. They, they don't, and that's why you go into that, isn't it? Because you, because you just love 16th century poetry and you want to convey that to students. But that's gone. It's so, not, it's so unromantic now. They want to spend like 60,000 words uh, creating just hate speech. Yes. <laughs> hate, hate speech against Wordsworth or something. Like, like yes. that's, like, why would you want to live your life like that? I don't know. It's so bit. It's so. It's so. It's so. It's so bitter, and it's so. It's so depressing. I mean, there's there's so much to be positive about. But this is the thing about you asked about Western civilization. It has produced so much wonderful, rich literature and art and music and architecture and inventions and you know people trying to work out how to fly and 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 everything that we have now. And and all they do is they focus on wanting to tear it down and talk about how it's. It's um, a sign of the patriarchy and it's just so, and identity politics and how it's all about oppression and it's like, just, just, just desist for a bit and, and <laughs> we're all very tired well, of it. Some, something that I, that I hear often, and this is more from a, uh, from a high school sort of perspective, is that uh, kids from diverse cultural backgrounds, they, they, they don't get Mozart. You know, they, they won't understand Shakespeare. What's that got to do with living in, you know, inner city London or something like that? You know, do you think there's there's sort of this, uh, it's sort of the, the, the racism of, of low expectations, isn't it? I think that's completely in- inaccurate. I think Mozart, Shakespeare, 
um, the great literature appeals to everyone because the values that they that all these great artists, especially Shakespeare, talks about are completely universal. It's 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 back to what it's like. What is it like being a human being? It's all our shared. Everybody suffers from the same flaws, the same you know falling in love, you know falling out of love, hating someone, jealousy, wars, all these things. It's not just you know it's not just white people, which is what these people. This is universal. I went to. Um, a great, you remember that, you know, the, the Shakespeare Globe in London that was built by an American yes. complete replica. There were, um, I went, I think it was probably 10 years ago, and they were having a Shakespeare, World Shakespeare Globe event, and there were 50 odd Shakespearean companies from all over the world that were, produ- that were performing Shakespeare in their own languages. So you could go and see Shakespeare in Swahili, in Mandarin, in Cantonese. It was unbelievable. Every country takes these things on. And I, it's, I think it's insulting to, to, to say to um, an Indian kid in Australia, we're not going to introduce you to Mozart all these things because it's not you won't understand it. It's insulting. Before we pivot away from from uh, Western Civ slightly, I feel like um, you know that these the people who I'm going not going to call them ideologues. I'm going to broaden it out a little bit and just say the, the people who are doing this. I feel like they use language to obfuscate and sort of bamboozle everyone. Uh, into into achieving their aims. So, for example, changing the meaning of racism to include power and privilege or subbing in the word equity for equality, for instance. This goes on consistently. And part of their project is is making it so, uh, putting a thin layer of sort of uh, a thin veil in, in front of what they really want because what they don't want is to, is to succinctly uh, say what they really believe. So I feel like, you know, bridging the, the, the gap, like how can we bridge the gap to the average busy person, you know, uh, to to see what's happening here? Because it is happening every day, all the time. You know, this this ideology is being, you know, they're using language to to push an agenda. And I think that most people go, oh, you know, they don't, they, it's it's getting very difficult to see what they're doing. Yeah, this is, this is what um, the left love doing um they they take language and they they change meaning of words so that so that every time you try and have a discussion or a rational a, a rational sort of discussion of language it, it's it, they change the goalposts it's it's very clever um and it's a very difficult thing to to counteract um as you say no one's given them the credit for that no one's given them the credit for the genius of, of, it is the, genius. of the move it's genius um so as you say racism of course racism exists but what you and I understand to be racism, they will say is is something very different. Um, so you can't even have a uh, you can't have a normal discussion, and uh, it's 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 really difficult. So this is why I try and sometimes in my articles, I look like I'm exaggerating things. So, um, for example, talking about the national curriculum, they, there's no one line where where they say to children. Australia, you need to be ashamed of being Australian and you need to hate your country. But that's that's what they're doing, but in a very clever way by using language. Um, so they'll talk about invasion a lot. And they'll talk about, in the history curriculum, they'll talk about um, Germany invading Poland, which we all know was terrible, the Blitzkrieg. And the, yes, that is definitely an invasion. <laughs> you know, they got in tanks and they drove across and that was, it was over. Was it 10 days? Um, and and then in the next sentence, they'll talk about how the British invaded Australia. I'd be okay with that if then they said, uh, and in the same way that the, the, the postmodern leftists invaded the humanities. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's right. But, they, but they, won't, they won't do that. But, you know, uh, 
historically, it wasn't an invasion. The British didn't come in warships. It wasn't, it wasn't, they didn't come to invade the land and kill everyone who was here. They came because they needed somewhere to dump the, these poor convicts. And it was all part of the, as we were saying earlier, it was part of the, 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 the European battle for, 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 for primacy over the, for, for, um, for land. And, and this is the problem is, is that when you start calling Australia invaded, it, it, it just, it just, historically, it just wasn't an invasion. And it felt like an invasion, but it wasn't, you're saying that the British decided in England that they were going to invade Australia. There was never, it was never that. Should we be pushing, pushing to use the term settlement more? Well, it used to be, yeah, they settled Australia. Yes, they, of course they did. Yeah. But it wasn't, an invasion implies what the Germans did in Poland. And they're two de- very different things. Mm, for sure. Well, I'd, I'd like to share a personal story, if I might. Uh, and, and don't worry, it is related to the topic. My four-year-old son came home from childcare uh, in the middle of last year, and he told me all about the stolen generation. Okay, this is something he'd learned about in class that day. At four. At, at four, four years old. Well, yeah, well, he turned four in December, so he was technically still three, I guess. Um, and I was a little concerned, as as you could imagine, uh, I discovered that in addition to learning about the Stolen Generation, the kids have a daily uh, acknowledgement of country as well. Uh, now, I challenged the staff at the childcare centre about what they were teaching uh, on the grounds that it was not really age appropriate um, or balanced. And to, to make my point, I asked whether the kids ever sing the national anthem, uh, which triggered quite a, a, a terse response. Um, they told me that as part of the early years learning framework for Australia, the childcare was required to include culture of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. Um, and as for the national anthem, uh, I was basically told that I could teach that to my son at home. Um, now, I don't really care if my son, my four-year-old son sings the national anthem or not, like I'm not really fussed, uh, but they, they failed to see the point that, that I was making. A- am I reading too much into this or is my kid being indoctrinated uh, at four and, and, and what can I do as the parent to, to sort of push back on that? Um, unfortunately, your child is being indoctrinated at four um, because as the left are good with language, they're very good, they very, they very much understand that if you get a child, um, you can really change their, their, their thinking. They're, so, they're, they're like sponges. They'll believe anything that teachers tell them. They're completely impressionable. Um, so the, the, the problem is, of course, if they're telling them about stolen generations and they're doing the welcome to country, you have to counteract that with uh, the other side of history when they get home. And that means that you have to find the resources and you have to, you have to look into it yourself and, 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 and maybe teach them that, that it wasn't, I mean, it's very tricky. I don't want to talk about stolen generations on this podcast, but there's always another side to, there's always another side to, uh, to these things. Um, so you have to counteract it when they get home. Mm. Well, well, I guess my issue mostly is is the age appropriateness of that, because I would think that that's something uh, you know in the wheelhouse of the stolen generation. You know, is something you might learn when you're ten or, oh, 11 or yeah. twelve or something. You know, so, and I think we should learn about these things. But again, it, it, for me, it's about balance. You know, and I think you would argue that too. Yeah, and and the, and the point is, you know, Australian children are really are really behind in reading and writing. Um, they are they, they're falling behind every year. They, they, being outstripped by pretty much everyone in the rest of the world um, because they're not teaching your four-year-old how to read and write properly. They're teaching them about stolen generations and, and welcome to country. This is, this is not what should be, should be happening in the classroom. So they're to be educated and not indoctrinated. And I, sound, I say this, and then I, I sound like some fanatic, but, 
but that's what you send your school your children to school for, isn't it? To 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 be taught how to read and write and, but Bella, and add up. It, but don't you think that the see? I wouldn't worry too much because I would argue that they're be, these people are being, uh, you know, a bit over the top. Like I told uh, my partner, who used to be a school teacher, you know, I said, "Oh yeah, you know, Ricky's kids doing acknowledgement mm. to country every day," and she was like, "Every day." <laughs> She was like, they're doing it every day. Like, and uh, like, I mean, the first thing, look, if you're in the meeting, you should just say, okay, just I'm totally down with the acknowledgement country. That's fine. Can we just do it once a week? Like, why we got to do it every day? You know, like that is, they've got no chill. They've got no chill and they're doing that. And, they're, and then they're, you know, I've read some of the communications and they're, Flora and fauna exploration that they do really sounds like buttering up, buttering up for, you know, the blood, the bloody massacres to come. Like, I feel like it's just a prelude, you know, they've been very tricky with language again. They are. Um, but and of course, I think, I think they're in danger of, and what they do is they end up alienating children from all Indigenous history because it's so repetitive in the end because they get it from four and then if you read the national curriculum the first six months of the of year seven history in the national curriculum is indigenous history and they've already had a whole primary school they've already had six years of it and then um they have it embedded into every other subject because of the cross-curriculum priorities this is going to put people off so um so i think it's i think it's probably doing their cause a bit of uh, 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 damage because it's just so there's just so much and children need variety at school I, you know, I remember being taught the same thing over and over. You roll your eyes if you're 15, like oh, Indigenous history again. Shouldn't be like that, but because because they're because they're really ramming it down their throats from four years old. That pe- it's 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 not going to endear people. That's the problem. Um, it's just and and it's and it's and I just hate the fact that they're not being taught a balance. I, there's just so much to be taught. Um, there's so many interesting things about this country's history, even though it's been very short. Um, that, that just just no one knows about. Um, you know. What about teaching them that democracy was born in Australia in 1856 in South Australia, where we got universal male suffrage, all men could vote? What about 1902, where all women could vote? I mean, what, let's start. Let's start talking about some positive things. What about the 1967 referendum, when 90 percent of Australians voted to take out that clause from the Constitution of Indigenous counting Indigenous? I mean, these these are really important things. But are they are they are children hearing that? I don't think they are. Maybe on this curriculum topic, uh, the curriculum curriculum was created by this thing called ACARA, and, and and maybe you could explain to us what that is and and what that's replacing. You know, um, ACARA is the Australian Curriculum Reporting and Assessment Authority. I always get it wrong, and I've written it about a million times. I you hate to, these acronyms. You, you need to get. Your bureau, your bureaucraties, right? I really Bella. do. I've written it a right. million times, and I, I have to check every time. It's one of those things that I just can never remember. But it, it's it's the it's the um, bureaucratic um, body that was set up to write the national curriculum, and that um, has that's the body that has created the latest national curriculum, which I've been railing against um, for six or seven months now, because this is the really flawed one. This is the really radical one that. Um, really explains a lot about why we're having these conversations about Australia Day and why young people um, are not particularly fans of Australia. Um, so ACARA was told by the government to go away and come back with a better national curriculum last year because 
it's really not not only is it ideologically flawed, but it was just way too packed, and teachers were having real problems teaching it. There was just too much information, um, and it was there were there were a lot of problems with it from a teaching point of view, which I can't go into because I'm not a teacher. But so they were told, come back with a better one. Um, and from what I gather, it's not that much better, and it's certainly much worse ideologically. Um, so there, so we're now waiting with bated breath. They said they were going to release the new one like this year. Um, so we'll wait to see what they come up with. Yeah. Well, I did. I did read that that Indigenous history is even being shoehorned into maths classes. Is that true? Oh yeah, it's been that. That's been um, like that for years. It's it's. So they've got three cross curriculum priorities. They've got Indigenous and Torres Strait Islander histories. They've got Asia and Australia's engagement with Asia, and they've got sustainability. Um, and every single one of these has to be embedded into every subject, no matter what it is. So you have sustainability in English. You have um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander stuff in, in maths. So, um, you know, you try to, try to teach primary school children fractions and then they'll bring in something about how um, Australian Aborigines used to count blackfish. I mean, it's just completely, it's just completely, it, 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 it doesn't do either subject justice by trying to sort of combine them in this weird artificial way. And it, made, it makes the teacher's life a lot more difficult because you're trying to teach children how to do fractions and you've got, oh no, I have to somehow bring in Indigenous Australian uh, and uh, Torres Strait Islander knowledge into this. And it just doesn't, it doesn't fit. Um, and, and so, yes, this is what I was saying earlier, from, from the minute they get to primary school, from, from prep to year 12, they get, they get all this stuff just constantly every day. Um, so the problem with the car is that they said, we've heard that there's problems with the, the cross-curriculum priorities, but we're telling you already in advance, we're not taking them out. I'm like, well, that's not going to improve it at all. Mm. And and who, and who has the power to to implement that and sign off on that? What so it's meant to be signed here? off by um, all the the, the state um, education ministers. Um, and before um, the, the 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 former um, education federal education minister Alan Tudge was um, very concerned about the national curriculum. Basically, said when they presented it to him, he said, "I'm not accepting in this state." And he's since had to resign and has been replaced by someone else. And so there's a lot going on in the background. Um, and that's why I don't know any more than, than you do. I don't know if the new curriculum has been given the go ahead by, by all the state's um, ministers or not. But when these uh, suggestions are put forward, do, is, is, it, is it a lack of sort of courage to be able to, to be rational in those meetings by certain actors that is getting this stuff just push through. So someone suggests something that's a bit, you know, loopy, whether it's, yeah, putting something that's got nothing to do with maths in maths or, you know, whatever. And then then that gets put forward in the room and everyone sort of just like looks at the desk and no one says anything because there's there's people frightened of, of uh, you know, they're picking their battles. Is that is that part of it? Um, well, I, look, I don't know what goes on in the meetings, but something like the cross-curriculum priorities has been embedded in the national curriculum from the, from, for years. So it's much easier to put something than it is to take it out. Um, and I don't think they want to take them out because they are ideologically aligned with having those particular priorities in the national curriculum. I think the people who work for ACARA, the people who write the national curriculum, uh, have a particularly ideological viewpoint um, and they have no interest in in changing that, they have no interest in balancing out the curriculum. But the but the thing that gets me is that 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 all of this stuff is is 
passionless and and perfunctory and boring and inappropriate and inefficient and stupid like the like it's the opposite of how you would want indigenous culture and education to be handled in australia ever yeah that's the sad thing they're making it really boring and they're making it by forcing it down people's throats they're making it they're going to put people off it and that's that's my point I, I, have you read Geoffrey Blaney's um, Two Histories of, of Australia? Like the first half of his first book is the most fascinating thing I've read about Indigenous history. Like really unputdownable. That's what they could teach the children. Why don't they teach them that? It's fascinating. But instead, it's just, it's just they've, they've ruined it. Well, I got a taste. This I got a taste of it. I read Thomas Keneally's, um, you know, uh, book on Australia and and one of his first volumes, and he covers a bit of it at the beginning, and that was a real pivotal moment for me. That's when it mm. hit me because because Indigenous history is absolutely fascinating, and you know, and wonderful stories in there, absolutely, and and important to know. And it was put together by someone who can tell a story and yeah. and and likes the material. It's and it was the I was like, wow, this is the opposite from every uh, sort of um, pedagogical encounter I've ever had with with. Indigenous culture, First yeah. Nations culture. Yes, and I, and I and it's just it's again I lament the fact that I don't think there's any history that's particularly boring. I think, you, but they're making it that. But not they're not only just making Australian um, Indigenous history boring. They're making other history boring. That that you look at the National Curriculum and go, oh, this is why would I study this? It's, it's terrible. Um, so this is, I think the problem is first of all they're making they've politicised Indigenous history. So it's all about. It's 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 all about a, a political point, which I think makes it boring. And the problem with the other history is that they they've also done the same thing. They've politicised it, so it's all about judging. Um, it's all about social justice and changing the world. Now it's really got nothing to do with past events. It's it's a kind of woke history. It's 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 let's judge. Let's look at let's look at what people were doing two hundred years ago. And, Let's, we're so much better than they are, and we know so much more. And, uh, and it's just, at the same time, let's ignore what's going on in China at yes, all costs. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yes, and let's not talk about the fact that there still is modern day slavery. Um, yeah. And yeah, and slavery wasn't invented by the British, and you know, uh, certainly wasn't invented in, in in the United States. But you don't you don't hear any of that. But it, it's like this constant year zero thing that they're trying to bring everything back to year zero. Like like we're going to start a fresh from now and and you know and we're all going to be socially aware from this point once we get rid of all the statues and all the references to to anything bad in the past and then we, it's almost like clean slate oh you're totally right it's all year zero it's all it's 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 all this idea that that the world is has been so rotten so far um that we need to we need to start all over again um, and we need to rebuild it but they never have a suggestion about how we do that so they, they want to get rid of all these institutions of Western civilization. They want to get rid of the rule of law and equality before the law. They just want to destroy it all. I mean, they've done that in English literature, so there's no more, there's no more literature you can study. They've pulled, they've, they've pulled that apart. But then they have no, like, well, what do you suggest then? How do we build ourselves as a society? What, what better system can you come up with than we have now? I, I, I'm interested to know. It's an often a question that goes unanswered. It's not communism. I can tell you that much. It's not socialism. Well, if they're anything like Extinction Rebellion, which we, we talked about them on our last podcast, they, they just have this idea that the government needs to fix it. Yes, but they're not the only ones that, need, that believe that the government needs to fix everything these mm, days. I, I know. That's, 
that's the system the system they've got in mind i suspect involves them keeping all of the creature comforts and benefits of this of the uh, society that we have right now that were built upon yeah western civilization and, yes yeah. and all, also we want all the benefits but we're just going to make a few tweaks and largely at the end the main difference is i'm in charge and you're not yes that's, that's the main difference is that, I think that is want. the main difference yeah <laughs> it, is, like, it is a little tweak i'm in charge <laughs> yeah we're just going to swap places so, look, before we wrap up, I think we need to go a little deeper uh, and talk about moral courage. So when you began working for the IPA uh, and writing about cultural issues, if I've got my uh, uh, history correct, uh, you so you've, you've come back to Australia from a previous life in sort of straight academia and a number of other things, correct? Yeah, look, a, a very, very different life. Um, my first love is history. I've, I, um, I wrote, did a thesis on um Crypto Judaism, which was um, Spanish Jews secretly practicing Judaism in Spain in the 1450s. So I spent a lot of time buried in archives, looking through documents from that time, and um, and then I was very interested in the Reformation. So I wrote three books about that, and I I was completely clueless about. I mean, I sort of knew about postmodernism and things, but I hadn't really given it much thought. I was very much out of this world, and I I came back and um, ended up. Sort of taking this job at the IPA, but but still not really having much of an idea about the the the, the battle um, that has been being waged in our universities and waged on society and waged on us, and and it's just been becoming very clear. And it's it's been um, I don't go on Twitter because I'm actually I just I don't have a th- <laughs> this sounds really bad, but I don't have a thick enough skin for the for the attacks, um, and um, I think I think I'd, I'd lose I'd probably lose my courage and I'd lose sight of what I'm trying to do, which is just speak the truth. But did you make an active decision at any point to, to speak out against the establishment orthodoxy now dominating institutions that we might have? We, we, we talked earlier that this actually, it sounds like this may have crept up, you know, this, this uh, idea of just how, you know, uh, dominant this, this new establishment thought has come. But I'm interested in the, this, this decision, if you, if you made it, because to advocate for Western civilization or to speak out against overreach from diversity and equity and inclusion departments comes with a cost. And we talked about some of that mm. earlier. You're shut out of sizable sections of public life in, in, a, in our very small country. Specifically, you're not welcome at the ABC. So, oh, no. so you're not going to get a de- you, you won't get a no. documentary up about no. the Reformation. You won't get a documentary up about history. You won't be on, well, you wouldn't want to be on Q and I'm sure, but if it were, when Q and A was good for five yes. minutes, yes. you wouldn't want you won't be on that. Uh, no funding body uh, no. Uh, will will accept anything from you, um, and maybe even probably dare I say most university departments won't have you. Oh no, no, no university department would have me apart from Campion College, dear Campion College in Sydney that teaches that teaches Western civilization courses. Um, so, so this is a this is a was this an easy decision? Uh, Yes, but it wasn't really a decision. I just found myself in this job and realizing that I just I was just daily amazed at things that were going on. Bella, I push back only because okay. only because you would have had multiple opportunities to do what everyone else is doing, which is to go along to get along, and you didn't do that. And I and I'm in awe of that, and I want to know what you've got that I don't have. Um, I couldn't do it in conscience. There's the answer. So yeah, you know. and I just couldn't. I couldn't do it in conscience. I'm, I couldn't. I'm, I'm conscious. I, I'm conscious that 
I will have to explain my life at some point and I couldn't think of how I would get around that one. That's what I wanted to hear. And so, so to put it in, to put a bow on it, a little thought experiment. Okay. I call it heaven and hell. So let's just, let's just, in your words, we'll talk about hell first. Let's say the ideologues win. They win. What does Australia look like? Australia's institutions, its education, its entertainment look like in hell. And then let's just say in he- we'll finish by talking about heaven. If, 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 for lack of a better term, we win, what does it look like in your words? Well, I think, I think Australia has experienced what you would say is heaven. I think, I think in the 80s it was a country where um, you could really say what you want. There was this still idea of um, free speech, of um, entrepreneurship, of a sort of positive... Um, there was this egalitarianism, there was this um, government not having too much control over people, there was still very much a sense of freedom, um, and I think that's a country that is as pr- pretty good as you can get in terms of, 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 of a modern nation, and that's why you know, people still wanting to come here. Um, I think hell is what we're starting to look like now, um, which has been um, really uh, accelerated in the last two years under we don't want to mention coronavirus, but it really has um, exposed some of the flaws. It's given uh, our governments terrible power over us. We've now got a country where there's political prisoners. Western civilization has pretty much been dismantled over the last two years um, with uh, the chief uh, and enabled by our prime minister, who's just let it all happen, um, and um, let tin pot dictators um, overturn the rule of law and um, and the idea of individual sovereignty with vaccine mandates. Um, and I think we're actually looking at a very, we're looking at what I would consider a hell. <laughs> does that answer your question? It absolutely does. And sure. I'm trying to impress upon everyone that the struggle is real. The struggle is very real. Yeah, for sure. Now, we, we, we have a selfish question that we like to, to finish on. It's our final question. And we'd like to know what you're reading right now. Oh, I'm reading a great book um, about um, lost pianos in Siberia. Wow. Yeah, which okay. is, which is um, that the Russians were completely obsessed with pianos and then um, they, people, when people fled Russia to Siberia, I'm sorry, when people fled Moscow to Siberia and other places, they took their pianos with them. <laughs> um, and it's this amazing woman who's, who just, to set out to find all the lost pianos in, and, and see how they'd survived. And I'm only 15 pages in, so I can't tell you any of the stories, but it is absolutely fascinating. Title? Uh, the Lost Pianos of Siberia. Just, you get what it says on the team. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah. you know how you read, but you know how you read books and you still don't know what the title is? I'm, I'm, yeah. I, I, and I can't Google because I don't have a computer in front of me, but it, um, it was a Christmas present and, and it's, just, it's just fascinating. And I'm also dipping into the, the laptop from hell. Oh, that's the Miranda Divine. Yes, Divine. Yeah, oh. Hunter Biden. I'm gonna. I'm. I can't wait. <laughs> you have to read that. Oh, wow. this is, it de- is delicious. Beyond belief. What a guy! Like I yeah. love that. I love that. That the son of the current president is way more of a beast man than the, the Donalds. Like oh, yeah. kids. Yeah. Such a beast man. Um, and um, Do- Donald's kids look like angels compared they to. They really do. I'm just going to say. I'm just going to say M and M's, and then let you read the read the first 15 pages. And you know what I'm talking about. That's all I needed to hear. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Well, Bella, thanks so much. Listen, if if people are interested in your work and want to follow you, uh, how do they do that? Um, they just they just go to the IPA website, ipa.org.au, and all my stuff is is under 
they just click on my face and, and all the stuff is under there. But I'm not, I'm not, as I mentioned, I'm not on Twitter and I'm not on Instagram and things. I'm, I, I keep quite a low social media profile. Well, well, Bella, Bella uh, regardless of what happens, we'd love to have you back to, to chat some more another time if you'll have us. Oh, I'd love to. Fantastic. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Excellent. Well, uh, John, what are you going to do for the rest of Australia Day? Um, I was thinking of going, putting on an Australian flag cape, um, uh-huh. getting three sheets to the wind and, and going to punch on. Ah, oh, get your punch on. Will you be wearing a hat made out of a, a VB carton? <laughs> if things go well, yeah. Yes. Absolutely. What are you going to do? <laughs> I think I might do the same. I might get my Australia Day uh, thongs on, you know, the Australia flag ones and, yeah. uh, you know, just, just go out uh, go out on the hunt, get a bit of a punch on, maybe sink, sink a few beers, smoke yeah. a few darts, yeah. you know, listen to some Akadaka. Yep. Well, sounds like a, a fruitful, uh, fruitful day. Mm. All right. Uh, we said what we said. Long live the new flesh. Long live the new flesh. <laughs>